So open your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. We're talking along the subject of abound, and we got into the early stages of the message, abounding with thanksgiving. So I want to talk for just a while this morning on giving of thanks and abounding therein. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Colossae, and he said in verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith or established in the word as you have been taught. Now notice, abounding therein with thanksgiving. In other words, overflowing and teeming over with thanksgiving by what you have been taught, by what you have been heard, what you have heard concerning the word of the living God. For when you are established in the word and your heart is settled and fixed, trusting in the Lord, it does not matter what comes your way because you know that everything's going to be all right and everything's going to go God's way. Come on. The established heart is a heart that is settled, that it is fixed, it is trusting in him. And he or she shall not be afraid when bad news comes on the scene. Why? Because we shall not be, we shall not be moved forever. Because we are only moved by what the Word of God says. And so as you feast on manna from heaven during the week, as you read the Word and as you feed your faith, add thanksgiving to it and may there be an overflow of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit attending your way Every day. One translation says, let your roots go down deeply in him. And let him build you up on a firm foundation. Be strong in the faith, just as you have been taught. And always spill over with thankfulness. We quoted Ephesians 5 already. The filling, the intoxication with the Holy Spirit is a must for us on a daily basis. Hebrews says it like this, that through him, therefore, let us constantly and at all times offer up to God, what kind of praise? A sacrifice of praise. Now notice this, which is the fruit of our lips. You see, if you've got a praise in your heart, it ought to be coming out of your mouth. If you've got worship in your spirit, open your mouth and let it out. And thankfully... And, and graciously, graciously confess and glorify the name which is above every name. You see, we all go through things. But the subject matter is we're going through. You may be in a valley experience right now. But by the word of the Lord, I say you're going to make it through to the other side. We are not going to camp in the valley. We are not going to camp in Baca. But we are going to go through to the other side. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to make it. Thessalonians tells us. He tells us, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So in the middle of everything that is going on around you, give thanks no matter what your circumstances are. He's telling us to give thanks in everything, in all things. Amen? When you're on the freeway, give thanks. 
When you're backed up, you've got a choice to rejoice or a choice to groan and moan and complain. And like Joyce Meyer says, if you groan, you moan, and you complain, you will remain. And you don't want to remain in traffic any longer than you have to. Amen? But listen, turn your tough circumstances into praise. Turn the situations that you're facing into praise and lift up your voice and rejoice in the Lord your God and God will bring you to the other side. Speaking of Joyce Meyer, she said this. She said, there's no happier person than a, true, than a truly thankful, content person. Paul said to the church at Philippi, he said, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Amen. He's not talking about California or Idaho. Amen. Or uh, whatever, you know, Nevada. He's talking about whatever condition you find yourself in. Give thanks. Learn to be content. Learn to be a happy camper. I mean, we're all camping, if you will. So we might as well be happy about it. We're all on a trip, right? Some of you are a trip, but never mind. <laughs> We're all on this trip. We're all on this pathway of life. Is that correct? But let's determine we're going to enjoy the trip. We're not going to be like that ad said, are we there yet? 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 No, we're not there yet. We're on our way. That makes for a bummer of a trip. Oh, but glory to God on the road of life. You can be singing all the way, lifting up your voice. Oh, thank you, Lord, for another day. Glory to God. The road is flat and all looks bad. But oh, thank God you have made me glad. Amen. Say it with me real strong. You have made me glad. We said last week that praise and thanksgiving is the proper protocol for coming before the Father. We are to enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We are to be thankful unto him and bless his name. The message says, enter the password. And what is the password? Oh, more of you need to get a hold of that. What's the password? Enter with the password, and the password is thank you, making yourselves at home, talking praise, thanking Him, and worshiping Him. I'm talking to you about developing and cultivating a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Amen. You get a parking place at the mall, say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Whatever the situation may be, develop this lifestyle of thanksgiving. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15 and 57, let me quote it to you. Paul is addressing a very important issue in the church at Corinth. There's death all around them. And he says, the sting of sin is death. But he says, regardless of the death that might be around us, regardless of this law of sin and death that is in the world, he said, thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How can you thank God in the valley of the shadow of death? You can thank God in the midst of the law of sin and death because you know well in your heart that victory is yours, that triumph is yours, and that overcoming belongs to believers. 
Now, let's take some time here today and let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Now, you'll see in this verse, verse not the idea or the concept, well, we win a few and we lose a few. No, the emphasis here in 2 Corinthians 2.14 is always. Everyone say always. always. Now let's read this together. Ready? Read. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumph as trophies of Christ's victory and through us spreads and makes evident the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. Now let's keep that up. Number one, thanks be unto God who in Christ, not in yourself, but who in Christ and because of Christ will always lead us in triumph. He will give us the victory. Amen? And when we are walking in this victorious place in Christ, when we are winning and when we are accomplishing the will and the plan of God, the scripture says that our lives become a very trophy of his victory. Our lives become an object of Jesus and his victory that he's won for us. But not only that, he says, through our lives, there's something that is spread. Amen. There's an odor of victory. There is a fragrance of victory that comes through you and that comes through me when we live a lifestyle of thanksgiving and we walk in the victory. Through your life spreads and makes evident the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere. How many of you know that there is an odor to death? There is. There is a stench to sin. There is a stench to evil spirits when a person is filled with them. It's odorous. It's smelly. Because it comes from the very pit of hell. That's a fragrance. That's an odor that we want absolutely nothing to do with. Amen? But for those that are of us that are in the kingdom of God, there is a fragrance. There is a sweet smell of victory that comes from our lives. The Bible says it's a fragrance. And through your life, it spreads everywhere. I believe that when we have the dove in us and on us, that we can manifest his presence wherever we go. I believe when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and rests upon us, that becomes a game changer. I believe that when we walk into a room with the dove in mind, with the Holy Spirit in us and upon us, that he will begin to manifest through us the spirit of the living God. And he will minister the spirit of the Christ. Hallelujah. And through your life, the anointing will begin to flow. See, now, if I had a literal dove on my shoulder... And I didn't want that dove to fly off my shoulder. And I was to walk down these stairs. I would walk down these stairs very carefully with the dove in mind. 
Because I don't want the dove to ever leave me or forsake me or to fly away. And so in life, if you want him to flow through you, if you want the smell of victory to flow through you, be very conscious of the God who lives on the inside of you. Be very conscious of the dove who is resting upon you. And as you are conscious of his presence, here's what happens. When you walk into a room, things change. When you walk into the office on a Monday morning, lives can perk up. When you have a word in season for a discouraged soul, when you have a word in season for a person that is going through tragedy and grief, that word in season is going to flow through you and the life of God is going to be ministered to those all around you. And my brothers and sisters, that is precious. But what happens is we are not as conscious as we should be of the Spirit of God within and the Spirit of God upon us. So in every conversation and in every relationship and in every business dealings that we do and all things, let's be conscious of the greater one on the inside of us. Let's know this, the greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And nothing by no means can hurt us or stop us. And his fragrance of victory will begin to flow through you. I believe this, that we're coming into a time and we're coming into a day as a body here corporately that I believe that our shadow, when it overshadows people, healing power is going to flow into it. Now, it's because, not because that the shadow heals people, it's because we're so full of God. And we're so full of the Spirit of the living God that when we get close to people, people's lives can be turned around and people's lives can be changed. Amen? So don't be a person that's always looking for the bad in life. Don't be a person that's always living on the negative side of life. Be a person that lives, lives on the happy side of life. Be thankful unto him. Develop thanksgiving and practice the very presence of God on a daily basis. And you'll begin to notice that his presence will just show up everywhere you are. It will permeate the very atmosphere that you walk in. Amen? Say it with me. In him I live. In him I move. And in him I have my being. Now, I want to share with you, with the balance of time that I have left, how that we are to give thanksgiving before the healing takes place. We are to give thanksgiving before we're out of debt. We are to give thanksgiving before our child comes into the kingdom of God. That we are to give thanksgiving before our nation turns around. There is an absolute powerful truth here that if you can get a hold of it and you start practicing it you will see the manifestations of God become closer and closer and more immediate in your lives amen and so it I believe this I believe it's time for all of us to be stirred up I believe it's time for all of us to be prayed up and praised up amen because you just don't know what may come along your way. You don't know what kind of opportunity God might give you to speak to somebody. 
Amen? Or to pray for somebody and see their life turned around. How many of you know of a gentleman by the name of Abraham? Now, Abraham had received a promise, had he not? And the promise was to Abraham and Sarah, first of all, Abraham, I have made you a father of how many nations? And Sarah was going to become the mother of all nations. Now, they didn't have any proof in the natural realm that this could be a possibility. When that was manifest, or when that statement came forth to Abraham, he was nearly 100 years old. I'll guarantee you right now, 100 years old don't get it on. They don't have Barry White playing in the tent. Let's get it on. He had a choice to side in with what God said or to look at his flesh and say, no way. And, of course, they got a little nervous. It didn't happen right away. You know, sometimes when things don't happen right away, we get nervous. And so Sarah said, well, it hadn't happened yet. Go into Hagar, my maidservant. So he went into Hagar. He took his eye off the promise and put it on the maid. And Hagar produced an Ishmael. And Ishmael is still bugging us today. But Abraham recovered, and he got a hold of himself. And he said, you know what? I'm going to keep my eye on the promise, because I know that the great promise keeper is able to perform that which I committed to him. He is a God that watches over his word to perform it. Now let's pick it up in verses 17 through 21 of Romans chapter 4. Somebody say, I'm giving thanksgiving before the manifestation. In, in uh, verse 17 it says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead, and calls those things which be not as though they were. Now Abraham lost hope, but he picked up God hope. He said, who against natural hope believed in hope? He stirred himself up that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Now notice verse 19 and verse 20. Let's read those verses together. And be not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Let's read verse 21. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, don't you know that Abraham and Sarah in the tent had to remind themselves of what God said? You know, it's one thing for God to say something to us, but it's another thing for us to keep what he said to us. Because the passage of time literally will rip you off. And so there was this passage of time, and I believe that Abraham and Sarah had to stir themselves up and reestablish themselves in faith 
and in the promise that gave, that God gave. And I firmly believe that one of the things that helped them to stay in the arena of faith and not lose hope and give up, like the verse of Scripture says, he was strong in faith, and what did he do? He gave glory to God. He gave glory to God. In other words, Abraham made the choice to thank God before Isaac was born. And that's how he stayed out of doubt and unbelief and fear. And he said, God, I am trusting you, and I just want to thank you, and I just want to praise you ahead of time, the glory to God, my Isaac shall be born. And how many of you know Isaac was born? And you know what the word Isaac means? The word Isaac means laughter. Oh, don't you know, there was great joy the day that Isaac was born. But I believe that Abraham and Sarah, all the time on this journey, were giving thanksgiving to God. And as God promised, he performed what he said he would do. Amen. There was a day where Jesus was teaching people by the thousands. Imagine that. He's out there ministering people by the thousands and thousands. And it began to get nighttime, and his disciples were troubled, and they said, Master, send them away, because they need to go into town, and they need to get some food. And Jesus said, No, I will not send them away fasting. And so what he did is he looked around, and he saw a little boy that had a Long John Silver's box. And he said, Ah, two fish. A little bit of bread. So here's what Jesus did. Jesus took a two-piece fish dinner. And he blessed it. Oh, how many of you know, when he blesses things, things happen. And he gave thanksgiving to God. And the Bible said that it was literally multiplied. And you know how many people got fed that day? Over 5,000 people. You may be in that situation today. It's not a two-piece fish dinner, but there's something that doesn't look like it could ever happen. But if you will bless and give thanks to God for what you do have, He will bring increase into your life. I've got a question for you today. I know the answer already. But how many of you could use some multiplication in your life? So here's the key. Be thankful for what you have. And he will take what's not enough and increase it to more than enough. See, here's the secret. Be thankful and he will increase your capacity to receive. You know that God's got more strength for you? You know that he's got more revelation for you? Now let's get real. You know he's got more moolah for you. Now, I know money talks. How many of you could use a little more moolah? Amen. Terrell, right? What's your first name again? Lavelle. Amen. Got it wrong. God bless you. Good to see you again. Praise the Lord. Okay, one more question. How many of you could use a little more cash? Now, don't wait for the cash to come. Sow what you have. Give what you have. 
It may be a dollar, it may be 50 cents, it may be a two-piece fish dinner. But nothing that you sow out of a generous heart, nothing that you give out of generosity is little in His sight. It's big in the eyes of God. And so let's allow Him to take what's not enough and to turn it into more than enough. I believe this. When we are grateful with what we have, we will unlock the blessings to flow into our life. One person said this. He said, be thankful for what you have and you'll end up with having more. If you concentrate on what you don't have, you will never, ever have enough. We must stop talking about what we don't have and what we can't do and look into the Word and declare what we do have and what we can do. Everyone say with me, I can. I can do all things through Jesus. Which what? Oh, hallelujah. Jesus gave thanksgiving before it was multiplied. You see that? What are you doing before things multiply? Abraham gave thanksgiving before Isaac. What are you doing before you're Isaac? See, I can't answer that for you. But here's principles here that'll help you. The last one we're going to look at, and it'll just take a few moments. For those of you that are mindful of your clock, how many have ever heard of a guy by the name of Paul and his wife Silas? <laughs> one guy was, he was preaching along one day, and he said, You know, Paul and his lovely wife Silas. Another guy was preaching, he says, you know, the apostles and the epistles. <laughs> well, Silas wasn't a woman. Silas was a partner in faith with Paul. And they were in ministry together. They were partners in ministry. And, you know, they were just doing the will of God. And, and there was a, a little lady that was possessed with the spirit of divination that followed them around daily. And really tried to hinder the flow of God and the move of God that was happening in their lives. And the Bible says that, you know, she did this thing for many, many days. And one day Paul just got grieved in his spirit and he turned around and he commanded that evil spirit to come out of her in the name of Jesus. And that spirit came out. But you know, her masters were very upset because this little lady made them a lot of money by her soothsaying. And so there was no small stir in the city. And people were upset. And what they did is they took Paul and Silas and they beat them. And they put them in stocks. And they just put them in prison and treated them like a couple of dogs. Now notice with me what the apostle Paul and Silas did in their midnight hour. Notice with me in Acts 16, if you would, in verse 25. And they'll pull it up here in a moment. Here's another spiritual truth that needs to get firm in our spirit. Notice with me. And at midnight. Midnight represents the darkest time of day. Midnight in our lives represents dark circumstances that we might go through. That's right. 
And at midnight, Paul and Silas had a conversation and said, well, if this is what we get for serving God, just forget it. I mean, we're out here serving God, and this is what we get? No, Paul and Silas did not have that attitude. Rather, they took on an attitude of gratitude. Here's what they did. And at midnight, Paul and Silas, first of all, what did they do? They prayed. And I believe their prayer sounded something like this. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, we are asking you for a great deliverance. We are asking you for these stocks to be removed and for the power of God to come upon this place and deliver us. So they prayed. They didn't moan. They didn't groan. They didn't complain. But not only did they pray, they also did what? They sang praises to God. You know those guys didn't feel like singing. But they knew that their singing and their praising and their thanksgiving would bring something on the scene that would literally set them free. And what came upon the scene was the very presence and the very power of God came into that jail cell. Now, I do believe that the Holy Ghost came upon them, but I also know that the Apostle Paul was a prayed up man. He was the one who said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe that that presence, listen to me very carefully, I believe that that presence that, that was in that room, in that cell, not only came upon them from outside, but came through them. For out of the abundance of their heart, their mouth was speaking and their mouth was praising. Mm-hmm. Whoo, hallelujah. hallelujah. They sang praises unto God. And notice with me, the prisoners heard them. So they weren't quiet about it. Some of you are wondering how come we're so loud in church. Well, we have scripture for it. Notice with me in verse 26. Look at this. Did you wear your shouting clothes? And suddenly. How many of you want some suddenlies to happen in your life? If we want suddenlies to happen in our life, we must do things that accommodate suddenlies to happen. Oh, I'm going to say that again. We must do things that accommodate and set the right atmosphere for suddenlies to happen. And suddenly, there was an earthquake. Listen. So that the very foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open. Now notice this with me. Not only Paul and Silas's bands were loose, but everyone in the prison. Everyone sitting there in jail. Every one of their bands were loose. When you get a revelation of prayer, when you get a revelation of praise, I'm telling you, not only will suddenlies happen for you, but suddenlies will happen for everybody around you. Look at your neighbor and say, suddenly, suddenly, suddenly. Woo, hallelujah. I'm waiting for some suddenlies. No, let's make some suddenlies happen. Let's be a prayed up people. Let's be a stirred up people. Let's be a praised up people. And God will come on the scene real strong. Amen. Last scripture, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Philippians 4, verse 6. Man, I'm doing good. I've preached 32 minutes and 39 seconds, and you're still listening. That's pretty good. To God be the glory. Understand this, that the same person in prison in Acts 16 is the same person that's writing this to the church of Philippi. 
He had learned some things by experience. And now the apostle goes into a teaching mode and he begins to instruct the church on what they can do in their midnight hour so that they can make it through. Amen? Amen. Not only that, but when this was written, the apostle Paul was in prison in Philippi. I mean, he was a jail guy. You know, we saw his little prison, his little cell in Rome when we were there on tour. That was an ugly place. It was a dark place. It was a dingy place. It was a death-filled place. But Paul didn't let the jail get in him. And that's the way you get out of situations. You don't let it in you. Don't yield to it. He's the one who said, rejoice in the Lord always. And then in case they didn't get it, like some of you aren't right now, again, I say unto you, again, I say unto you. <laughs> Let's look at the scripture. Be careful for nothing. At the top of your prayer, in your midnight hour, make sure that you don't yield to fear. Do not let fear and anxiety, do not be anxious about anything. But here's what we're going to do instead of worrying. But in everything, we're going to do like Paul and Silas did. We're going to pray. And we're going to make supplication, which is a form of prayer. We're going to supplicate. In the midst of situations, we can pray prayers like this. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that your word says that you would meet all my need. I thank you that your word says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but you deliver him out of them all. I thank you that your word says that in the world I'm going to have tribulation, but you told me to cheer up because you've overcome the world. And Father, I have this doctor's report here, but I thank you for the Bible. I thank you for the good report, and I choose to believe the good report. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking for your healing to flow in me and to flow through me. I'm asking, sir, that you would meet my need. I'm asking you, sir, that you would cause my babies and my children to be saved and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. That's prayer. You can't worry about that. You pray. And then it says, with what? With thanksgiving. You let your requests be made known (laughs) unto God. And so, Father, I just want to thank you. I believe I receive it. I give, Come on, raise your hands. I give you glory. I give you praise. I thank you that I'm healed. I thank you that my needs are met. I thank you that my babies are saved. I just want to thank you ahead of time. I want to thank you before it happens. Amen? And now, friends, when you do it scripturally and you do it the Bible way, you can expect suddenlies. You can expect suddenlies. You can expect manifestations. Amen? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to give thanks to God before, during, and after. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Come on, stand up, everybody.